You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. Reckless speculation. A day late, but well worth the wait. Bonus scoop time. Zolgad, executive producer Declan Goff, and the man with the scoops, Darren Doogie Wolfson, Channel 5 Eyewitness News, and of course the Scoop Podcast and all the scoop shows that we do here. And Doogie... Um, we talked to you on Thursday, obviously with Phil and Toe. The Gobert trade comes down the next day, and you have been, again, I'm going to give you credit. I know that you hedged against it, but you did throw this out there, I think almost a month ago, as being something the Wolves were exploring, and you said it's probably a long shot. But nonetheless, you tied his name to the Wolves, and on Friday, in a blockbuster trade, it went down. So congratulations, and the floor is yours as far as what scoopage you can tell us on one of the biggest trades the Wolves have ever made. Well, good morning, Judd. Good morning, Declan. Happy hump day. Judd, I always knew there was genuine interest going back many, many weeks. Dell Demps, now in the Wolves front office, worked with Tim Connolly in New Orleans. Most recently was a Utah Jazz assistant coach out of a job after Quinn Snyder you know, however you want to term that, resigns, decides to part ways with Danny Ainge and Utah. But Quinn Snyder gone, so Dell Demps looking for a job. Dell Demps now in the Wolves' front office. He has the book on Rudy Gobert. He drove the bus in large part on the Wolves' interest in Rudy Gobert. Clearly, Tim Connolly put it over the top. But, yes, Judd, like, there were different times where I wasn't convinced a deal would happen. Like, there were times where Wolves people were very pessimistic. That Utah, in the end, would say, okay, let's trade him, not only to a conference rival, but to a division rival. But when you offer, to me, Judd, I look at it as six first-round picks. Walker Kessler chosen in the first round just a few days ago. Then you look at 23, 25, 27, 29, plus the pick swap. Like, we have no idea what 2026 is going to look like. That pick swap absolutely could benefit the Utah Jazz. Maybe Utah finds a way to, you know, relevance again relatively soon, right? We have no idea what the Wolves are going to look like in four years. So that pick swap could have all sorts of value. I will give the Wolves credit for getting top five protection on the 2029 pick. Mm -hmm. Like, that's so far out. Right. I mean, at that point, in all likelihood, Rudy Gobert isn't playing at 37 or 38 years old. We don't know if Carl Anthony Towns will be here in 2029. Heck, we don't know if Anthony Edwards will be here in seven years. Right. So to get top five protection in the event that that, you know, is a rock bottom year, you know, I guess it's a little bit of a win for the Wolves to hold on to Jada McDaniels is a big win. Utah undoubtedly asked for Jada McDaniels. The Wolves, I was told all along, would only part, you know, with Jaden if if they were getting a legit all-star in return. Well, they got a legit all-star in return and found a way to keep him, right? So 
you know, that's a bit of a win. Mm-hmm. I get it from Utah's standpoint, Judd, like taking the temperature of some NBA folks that I'm friendly with. Like everybody said, Utah had hit its peak with Gobert. They weren't going any further with Gobert. Yep. So it was a very easy yes with all those first-round picks. Then you look at, you know, maybe somebody like Morrow has a chance. Jared Vanderbilt is only 22 years old. He can certainly be a rotation guy, maybe not a starter, but a rotation guy on a really good team. Heck, he was a starter on a really good team last year, a 46-win team. But over the next handful of years, maybe he's more like a seventh or eighth man. But that's an asset if you are Utah. Yep. Beasley, if he's there, probably for a year. Beverly may get bought out, but if he's there, there for a year. But, you know, Bomaro, you roll the dice on, you roll the dice on Kessler, you roll the dice on Vanderbilt, three young guys, plus all those first-round picks. Easy yes for Utah. But I'm telling you, going back to Friday, Judd, when I joined your emergency podcast with Phil, like the Wolves are celebrating big time. They really are. I don't know if I would have had the onions to execute this trade, but like the Wolves, Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez – Tim Connolly, I'm telling you, like there was a lot of celebrating going on Friday, Friday night into Saturday. So you're a definite hoops junkie, dude. So tell me this. How much better do you think the Wolves are right now because of this trade? Like what does this do? Because in my mind, it benefits a lot of players. It benefits Cat for sure. It's going to help guys, D'Lo for sure. So – Take us in depth on the, the thought process that you and perhaps uh, some folks that you know around the league that you already talked to about this. How much better does this make the Minnesota Timberwolves today than they were on Thursday? Even Ant. Like, think about the playoff game. John Morant, Ant gambles for the steal. John Morant gets the ball, layup at the buzzer. Like, Ant will feel more entitled, more empowered mm-hmm. to take some gambles, right? When you have the rim protector go bare behind you so a lot of players are going to benefit Judd they're a lot better like you think about last year's roster the smallest roster in the league now you think about the front court of Jaden McDaniels Carl Anthony Towns Rudy Gobert there will not be a larger front court and we've seen teams have success playing two big men Cleveland my guy J.B. Bickerstaff with the Cavs last year with Evan Mobley with Jared Allen had success playing the two bigs. Chris Finch was in New Orleans when they had Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. If you look at the champion of two seasons ago, Milwaukee, they played Giannis and Brooke Lopez a lot together. Now, Brooke Lopez has turned into an unreal shooter. Gobert doesn't have that sort of outside shot. Then you look at Boston, right, competing for a championship this past season. There were large stretches during the season, maybe not as much in the postseason, but during the season where they played a pretty big lineup, Uh right? So with Horford and Williams, then they bring in Daniel Tice. Like, they went big at times. So we have seen teams play multiple bigs having large levels of success. But, like, 25th in rebounding, defensive rebounding last year. They were actually a good offensive rebounding team last year, but defensive rebounding, 25th last year, Judd. They will now become that much better. When it comes to defensive rebounding, I do think they're going to miss the dog in Patrick Beverly, the dog in Jared Vanderbilt. But I do think Gobert's got some dog to him, has some toughness to him. But they are going to miss those two guys in particular. But when it comes to defensive rebounding, rim protection, 
shot blocking, shot altering. Like, you don't need to block a shot. If you alter a shot, that's a win. They are going to be so much better. And I don't think they're getting any worse offensively. Like, there's just a lot of evidence to suggest guys entering year three, Anthony Edwards, Jaden McDaniels, take a pretty large leap. There's enough of a sample size to suggest those two guys in particular should take pretty large leaps coming up here in year three. So I don't think they are going to get worse offensively. And when it comes to the postseason, yep. like a lot of people will fixate on whether it was the Clippers series of a couple years ago when L.A. just made three-pointer after three-pointer or Dallas this past season. Some of Gobert's teammates deserve blame. I'm not saying he's blameless, but like with this personnel now around him compared to that Utah personnel, maybe some of his deficiencies won't necessarily show up as much come April and May. Interesting. Um, so I, I feel like the national perspective from a media standpoint has been the Jazz kicked the Wolves' ass in this trade. It's an A for the Jazz. It's a D or F for the Wolves. I'm curious on this one because you, you do talk to uh, a bunch of people around the league who you can't name but are in the league itself. What's their perspective here? Because I, to me it feels like, Dukes, that – in part, this trade is being hammered nationally just because of the sheer magnitude of the numbers, and it's only one guy coming back here. But how, how do people who actually work in the league feel about this trade? Well, I mean, a lot of people love Rudy Gobert. The people I've been in contact with say, because they're not big fans of D'Angelo Russell, think D'Lo is going to benefit greatly. The pick-and-roll game. Think yep. about D'Lo, his last year in Brooklyn, playing with Jared Allen, Right? Like, think about that, you know, and I'm not saying Gobert has the offensive skill set of Jared Allen, but I don't think he's that far off. Just from a pick-and-roll standpoint, like, D'Angelo Russell, Rudy Gobert should be a really nice one-two punch. I had somebody with the Wolves remind me they are a franchise that has been out of the first round of the playoffs only once. They just haven't been relevant on a national scale. Why not swing for the fences? What do you have to lose? If this goes poorly, Judd, then you know what this sets up? A trade of Carl Anthony Towns in a couple years. And if you trade Carl Anthony Towns in a couple years, guess what? You're getting back a bunch of first-round picks and a good young player or two. So why not swing for the fences right now, see where you can go? The Western Conference, yeah, it's a bear, well, like, I don't know if there's a Warriors team of four or five years ago, the KD Warriors, right? Like, the right. Clippers are going to be really good. The Warriors should be really good again, although they've lost a couple guys. You know, we'll see if James Wiseman, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, if those three guys can take steps up, right? That's what the Warriors are now banking on after losing Gary Payton, after losing Otto Porter Jr. But the Warriors should be pretty good again. But, like, there's not this this clearly dominant team. So you can make a case there is a legit pathway to the Wolves being a top-four team in the conference. That is now the goal. Whether it'll be publicly stated later today or not, that remains to be seen. But internally, with this roster they now have assembled, they clearly plan on being a top-four team in the Western Conference, not only next season, but for the foreseeable future. And when I see later today, by the way, Judd, we're sitting here talking at 930. 
on Wednesday morning, the moratorium in the league gets lifted at 11 a.m. Yep. Look for the Wolves to officially announce the Gobert trade sometime late morning. Maybe they wait until noon or 1230 right after, you know, it flips from morning to afternoon. But I sure. fully expect nothing official yet, but I fully expect the Wolves late afternoon. Not at Mall of America. We've been down that road. The Wolves are not going down the Mall of America road again. What's Gobert's cell phone? At the Rotunda? Yeah. You know, we'll have to find out if Rudy Gobert gives out his cell phone. But I Two fully expect us seven. Yeah, <laughs> to get some FaceTime with, with Rudy Gobert before the day is over. My understanding is he flew into town last night. All right. Dukes, I, I saw, um, I believe, someone you, you on your latest Scoop podcast, actually, what it was, that the Wolves expressed some interest potentially maybe getting a DeMarcus Cousins or maybe just bringing someone else maybe on that vet minimum uh, type of contract. What, what, what's the latest kind of steam on that? And, and do you think that a, a, a move like Rudy Gobert coming to the Wolves kind of opens up that door that the Wolves could get, you know, a possible veteran minimum guy who was a former All-Star who now is still trying to uh, make his way in the NBA? Well, I mean, he's not a former All-Star, but Brent Forbes on a vet minimum deal, he'll get paid more than what the cap hit will be. The cap hit will only be $1.8 million. The NBA makes up the difference on these one-year vet minimum contracts. But like Bryn Forbes on a vet minimum contract is a really good get. Heck, Brooklyn just got TJ Warren on a one-year vet minimum. Gorgie Jang just signed a one-year vet minimum in San Antonio, right? I mean, you look at the guys left on the board, Declan, they're all pretty much minimum guys outside of Colin Sexton, DeAndre Ayton, you know, a few of those guys that are still remaining. A lot of the guys remaining on the board are pretty much one-year minimum type guys. The Wolves have their biannual $4.1 million, but like to me, save that for next summer. You know, that's one of those exceptions that that you can only use once every couple years, the biannual, right? So like there's no reason to use the biannual exception right now unless somebody comes free. But yeah, like, you know, I mentioned on my podcast Sunday, Scoop Podcast, episode 391, DeMarcus Cousins, maybe a name to keep an eye on. There's nothing imminent going on there. They did kick the tires on Gorgie Jang, but my sense is it never got to the point of them making an offer with him now off the board to the Spurs. So, yeah, if you look at it, they have 12 guaranteed contracts. So I'm including Wendell Moore Jr. The plan is for Wendell to sign his contract, which is a formality, but for him to sign his contract before they play on Friday – in Vegas. Josh Minot right now, I have down as a two-way contract, but if he performs well in Vegas, maybe they decide to turn that into a standard deal, but I look at it as 12 contracts. They are not going to get to 15, the max, although you can go over 15 right now in the summer. You just have to be at 15 by the start of the season, but I look at them at getting to 14. So if you look at two spots, they could use some help. A big, I think more so a five than a four, you know, just somebody to add some depth in the event there's some injuries and perimeter defense that they could just use a little bit of depth there. So those would be two spots I would keep an eye on. But like, it's more to the point of agents blowing up the Wolves phones saying, hey, you should really take a long look at my client because there's a lot of teams that are at like 13 or 14 contracts right now. Like the Wolves, when you're at 12 and you know that there's some openings. If you're an agent, like you're blowing up the wolves phone saying, Hey, what about my guy, Austin rivers? What about my guy, PJ Dozier? Hey, Tim, you know, these guys from your time in Denver, bring my guy to Minnesota because these agents are now getting a little bit desperate with jobs being somewhat limited, but I can see them eventually adding a five man 
for, for depth purposes, Declan, but nothing is on the cusp of happening with DeMarcus or anyone else. And Dukes, this now to me screams one thing clearly, and it, it's been it's been it started before this trade, but but this trade I think highlights this, and it is these are the new wolves. Like Glenn still owns this team, and Glenn still has to sign off on moves, but they clearly are making very aggressive moves in a lot of different ways that this uh, team did not make for a long time, both on and off the court. So that being said, it appears that. The reality is, in a couple of years, this team is prepared to blow past the luxury tax and pay the penalty, which to me, when you're talking about this franchise, and I think Glenn has done this once or twice, but the point is, it didn't become an occurrence that that happened all the time. How much different do you think this entire thing feels now, though? Because when you are prepared to really take on going past that, that tax, that screams that you're going into an echelon of teams that you uh, previously didn't want to be with, but now are going going to be with, and you're doing it on purpose, too. This is no mistake. This is no, oh, my God, we accidentally went past it. This will be very, um, very much a planned thing, and I think if you're a fan, you got to love that. Yes, I mean, the cap keeps going up, 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 but if you look at the salaries they're committed to, this is assuming – you can assume this Anthony Edwards will sign a max contract extension. Like you don't turn down max money coming off a rookie deal. Right. Then we wonder about a Jaden McDaniels extension, but certainly Anthony Edwards, max money, the Rudy Gobert money, the Carl Anthony Towns extension that will kick in in two seasons. If you look three seasons out, four seasons out, five seasons out. Yes. They are looking at being in the luxury tax. So Mark Laurie, Alex Rodriguez deserve kudos that that's not an easy thing to do a lot of owners run their teams like it's a business right and there's a bottom line maybe you go into the luxury tax when you're a final four team you know you make the conference finals you make the finals you know but otherwise you know you don't dip into the luxury tax now glenn taylor reluctantly but glenn taylor approved going into the luxury tax with the andrew wiggins d'angelo russell trade Uh right so you know they went over they were under then when they made that trade that February, they were actually over, couldn't get under by the deadline. So, like, Glenn didn't get the, the luxury tax pie money, right? If you're under the tax, you get millions of dollars from this pool of money. Glenn didn't get that. So Glenn deserves credit for approving that trade. But, yeah, Mark and Alex are willing to, to spend an ungodly amount of money. Trust me, Mark and Alex were very much in favor of this Rudy Gobert trade. They are thrilled. And, hey, let's not forget, they are why Tim Connolly is here. Like, if the Wolves had just elevated Sachin Gupta, which I was not opposed to, right? but if the Wolves had simply just elevated Sachin Gupta, do I think Rudy Gobert is being introduced as the new Wolves star later this afternoon? Heck no. I do not. I really don't. Right? So, you know, this is Tim... This is Mark. This is Alex. So, yeah, it's a completely new Wolves era. Three words, gentlemen. Shiny new building. Shiny new building. Where the Timberwolves can... And I, you know what? When you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, NBA champions a couple of years ago, new building, building in the uh, Bradley Center that was built at the same time, I think opened a year before Target did. It all makes perfect sense to say, if they can do it, so can we. And I don't think they're wrong. 
Like, I don't think they're wrong. But I, I really do think that the aggressiveness of this, the payoff, the price is this one. They're going to give you a competitive, fun team that's going to be good, I think. And it's certainly going to make some big-time moves. But the trade-off of that, and again, it's a business. In that sense, it is, right, Dukes? The trade-off of that is what? Somewhere, hopefully downtown, you will have within the next, I don't know, five, six years, a new facility. I think that's the most important thing probably to them. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, but, I mean behind that's the scenes, the there's been scuttlebutt about that. It will become way more public soon enough. Yes. Alex Rodriguez, Mark Laurie want a new arena. Not another <laughs> Target should. Center renovation. <laughs> a new arena. And you're right. You know, I think it'll be somewhere in the vicinity of actually where Target Center currently is. We're not talking putting an arena in Woodbury or Plymouth or anything like that, or even St. Paul. I like, hope so. Look for it to be in the vicinity of, of where Target Center currently is. But, yes, that's coming. I also thought about Tim Connolly's equity stake, which we still don't have full detail on. Right. But it's tied to the success of the Wolves. Right. Well, guess what? Short term, the Wolves should be a lot more successful than they would have been, right? So Tim Connolly can benefit financially with the Wolves jumping up to what we believe is at least 50 wins. You should be able to go from 46 to now 50 or beyond with this addition. Why is that being downplayed so much? Like like the whole Conley equity thing. I don't know if people care. I mean, bottom line. I think it's interesting. fans care? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Well, but but they could just say it. Like with if if Tim Connolly benefits more financially? I mean, all they care about is put the best product on the floor possible. And, you know, I think in spite of what the national media, a lot of the national media, not all. Like Adam Shine is pro this trade. Chris Broussard is pro this trade. I don't think Zach Lowe is big-time negative on this trade. So there's enough national talking heads that completely get this trade. I was just in the car dropping off my younger son at camp. I was listening to NBA radio, Frank Isola, Mitch Lawrence. Yeah, Those guys understand okay. this trade from the Minnesota standpoint. So I think that, that actually that point, that talking point is being – talked up a little too much. I know there's some national talking heads saying what the heck was Minnesota doing, but Bill Simmons hates it. On, on the other side too, saying I completely get it. Why not swing for the fences? All right. But yeah, enough. I just, I don't think enough fans care. I, you know, maybe well, I'm I just on that Judd. I think it's interesting. I do. That's why I brought it up. Right. Right. Because Tim Connolly can benefit financially from the success, the well being of the franchise. Well, guess what? You make a monumental move like this, mm-hmm. the franchise it's not taking a step back. Rudy Gobert is way too good a player, still in the prime of his career, for this thing to just blow up. Like, I have a hard time believing. I know anything is possible, but right. I have a hard time believing this thing is going to completely blow up. So more than likely, it's going to, you know, shift more in the in the positive, you know, line of, of you know, if you're going one way or the other. I know this doesn't work for people just listening to the audio, but for video's sake, for YouTube's sake, I'm moving my yep. hands left and right. It's going to go more in the positive direction, right? More likely than not. So yeah, Tim Connolly can can certainly benefit. But I'm just telling you, I, I just I don't get the sense enough people care about that. All right, uh, Twins, hot again now. One one back to back games. We're recording this the morning that they're going to play the White Sox in an afternoon game in Chicago. Uh, they, they've won the first two undefeated against the White Sox this year. But I want to start you off here. Miguel Sano has started a rehab stint. Um, 
there is a clock on how long a guy who uh, is hurt can be kept down. What do we expect there? Because to me, this still remains an incredibly interesting storyline for a, a guy who this team has given every possible chance to, um, certainly has been patient. What is the expectation now that this team without Miguel is playing so well? And I think that the lineup as currently constructed most nights really does work. It doesn't have like an, a guy that strikes out arbitrarily throughout the course of a game. What do we expect there, Doogie? Well, yeah, I mean, Luis Arise made some nice plays at first base. Kirloff's good there, by the night. way. Maybe botched one a little bit. Kirloff can surely play He's a good first, first base. base. But I'm just thinking maybe your best lineup is Kirloff in left, Arise at first. Mm. Then you can mix and match Urshela and Miranda at third. And at catcher, you mix and match Sanchez and Jeffers. Jeffers. You can DH somebody as well. Hey, maybe that's yep. Larnick when he's back in about four to five weeks. Clearly, you're you're taking a negative with Miranda defensively at third base, but I think you prefer Miranda's bat right now to Urshela. So they can play matchups in that regard. But on Sano, the maximum is 20 days. Look for him to be on a rehab assignment for 20 days. Like, they're not bringing him up anytime soon. They're just not, and their justification will be he did not see live pitching for six-ish weeks. He needs all the the reps that he can get. We don't need to rush him back. You know, so oftentimes these things, you know, take care of themselves. You know, I don't want to say inevitably, but like somebody will get hurt. So they'll activate Sano, but they don't have to make a decision for another, you know, 18 days. So let's, you know, revisit this conversation July 20th, July 21st, because, you know, when we talk that week of July 20th, Trust me, Miguel Sano's still going to be in Fort Myers. Maybe he's up with the Saints by that time. Let me correct myself. Very possible he's up with I'll the Saints. I'll go see him play. He'll, he'll mash there. By that time. Yeah, he should. Triple A, right? he could be great fun to watch. Yeah, but like they're not rushing him back. That I can tell you. I mean, that's right. the bottom line. I don't know if they know, Judd, so I don't know if they don't know how this thing exactly will play itself out. But one thing is pretty clear. They're going to maximize his rehab stint. All right, uh, pitching help. Falvey, in the press conference that they did on Friday, that I think you attended, talked about the fact uh, that bullpen help is not, you know, simple to go find this time of year. I think he sort of misunderstood because, like, some of the reconstruction of the bullpen does not need to be big trades. It just needs to be some simple um, switches of guys. But what what did you take away from that? And what have you heard behind the scenes about the pursuit of, of uh, pitching help before the August 3rd trade deadline? Yeah. Well, on the latter, I can tell you they have not had their trade scouts reposition their assignments. Like there's some natural assignments okay. where, okay, yeah. they're watching the reds or the A's or, you know, obvious sellers. But I can just tell you, my sense is the scouts that normally would do, pre-trade deadline scouting, specific scouting, have not been reassigned quite yet. I think that'll happen here in the next week or two, but it has not happened quite yet. So that tells me nothing is is quite imminent, that you know more often than not, action takes place closer to the deadline. This year it happens to be, whatever you said, August 2nd, August 3rd. It's not July 31st anymore. It's a couple days later. I think it's August 2nd. So, in all likelihood, things will ramp up July 29th, July 30th, July 31st, August 1st. 
I fully expect the Twins to do something. Like, they're not idiots, Judd, right? And I get it. A lot of talk oftentimes doesn't result in action. Most trades talked about in all sports never happen. But I will be shocked, Judd, if we have a conversation on the afternoon of August 3rd or August 2nd, if the Twins haven't done something to help their bullpen. So I fully expect something to happen. They've engaged, I can tell you. They've engaged the Reds. I mentioned a few weeks ago there was nothing going with the Reds, but that's changed. They absolutely have engaged the Reds. The Reds have all sorts of pitching. Luis Castillo, a starter, atop that list. They've engaged the Oakland A's. Heck, going back to March, they've engaged the A's. Now, we await word on Frankie Montes' MRI. So he left his start early on Sunday. We don't know the results of that MRI quite yet. So... That could shake up the trade deadline if it's something serious with Montes. Now, Montes is on the record saying he doesn't think it's anything serious, but we don't know. Maybe he knows, but we don't know publicly what what the MRI results are. But if he's okay, you know, I fully expect the A's to trade Montes. The Twins engaged the A's going back to March, right after the lockout was lifted. You know, they had interest in Montes. In fact, I was told, Judd, that the A's value Twins prospect Spencer Steer can play second base, third base, even a little shortstop. He's been mashing for the St. Paul Saints. Now, the A's are not trading you Montes straight up for Steer. It would take Steer plus more. The word is the A's are looking for multiple pitching prospects. So it would be Steer plus at least two arms. But maybe you could also get a good reliever back from Oakland. Right? So that would be something to keep an eye on. But there's many teams in the mix on Frankie Montes. The other thing I heard was the Oakland days are not necessarily the easiest front office to deal with, but I'm telling you, the twins have surely engaged those two teams, likely more. I'm sure the Cubs, some other logical sellers, maybe even teams in the division, the Tigers have a couple relievers that could help the twins, you know? So, I mean, you're going to reach out to all these teams, but, but certainly I can tell you the A's and the Reds, there's been legit dialogue, but just nothing that's, that's close to happening. Duke's a little mini scoop for you. I was texting with someone in, in the Twins minor league system. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, and I was asking because it's kind of difficult because even though the Twins could be buyers dead, like who could they have to give up on? Like, you know, could the A's call on a Kirloff? Doesn't look like the Twins are going to be moving off Kirloff anytime soon. Larnick's obviously injured. So what do their prospect pools look like with Royce Lewis also on the injured list? Who could they move? And someone he banded about who actually I feel like we aren't really talking about, and I think you know him pretty well from Forest Lake, Matt Walner. The uh, 39th pick in the draft in 2019, who was absolutely crushing baseballs in double A. I would imagine when they do the midseason prospect rankings, he probably rises up from the organizational spot at number nine. But I wouldn't be surprised if, I don't know if he's he's the centerpiece to get someone like Montas, just because he, he's still pretty young and whatnot. But Matt Walner's name was someone who I met, who was told to me that keep an eye out on him as someone who could be used in a potential trade if the Twins were to obtain some pitching help by the deadline. He is wasting his time at double-A Wichita, Declan. His numbers are through the roof. Now, he's striking out a bit too much, but that's what happens when you're a power hitter. He's got 20 home runs already for double-A. He's 24 years old. Get him up to St. Paul. (laughs) He is wasting his time at double-A. He needs to be in triple-A. I expect that to happen in the not-too-distant future. Heck, I could even make a case, this might sound nuts, but... Like, could he help the Twins now? Nick Gordon's been good for about three or four weeks. So maybe not Nick Gordon of the last three or four weeks, but big picture Nick Gordon, 
Could you make a case Matt Walner could help the Twins more right now than Nick Gordon? I'm just saying, I'm just throwing it out there as a talker. Nick Gordon has been pretty darn good the last three to four weeks. So this version of Nick Gordon, the answer is you'd rather have Nick Gordon, right? Because he can run too, and you trust him more in the field. But I'm just saying, Matt Walner's not that far away. I guess my point is Matt Walner is not that far away from helping out a major league team. So, yes, I would not be shocked if, you know, like look at the Tigers. I mean, the Tigers can use another bat, right? Or would you feel more willing to part with a Trevor Larnick, right? If you're getting back a reliever like Soto from the Tigers, who's under team control for multiple more years, or Barlow from the Royals, who's under team control for multiple more years, would you be more willing to part with a guy like Larnick because of the development of a Matt Walner? But yeah, Matt Walner deserves love, the Forest Lake native. You know, he was a really good player at Southern Mississippi, second-round pick by the Twins a few years ago. So, you know, he was a legit, you know, top-of-the-draft guy. I mean, he easily could have gone first round. He slid to the second round, but he had first-round talent entering the draft. He's a really good prospect. And he deserves to be a triple-A very, very soon. But, yeah, certainly when you're mashing the way he's mashing Declan, yeah, other teams are going to take notice. Duke's great stuff, great scoopage, and we will talk to you Thursday with Mackie. You got it, Judd. I'll also tell you, Declan, I mean, I just know this. There was a Philly scout. Now, the Phillies are not looking to sell off, but, like, you know, these teams have scouts run through Wichita or wherever Wichita is on the road. So a lot of these teams, just based on their normal scouting trips, you know, they've had scouts watch Walner in person. So there's a lot of teams with with the book on Walner.